This is the Formation Lab. Welcome one, welcome all to the Formation Lab, the only podcast that has been negatively affected by the worldwide pandemic of the Backstreet Boys uh, reunion tour. I welcome you. I'm Luke. I'm Tim. And we are staying home, preventing ourselves from attending the Backstreet Boys reunion tour. It is just a woeful time to be alive with the Backstreet Boys back in action. It God is. all. <laughs> Some might say that Backstreet's back, Tim. <laughs> Some might say that we're going to get a cease and desist letter from the lawyer. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> because our lawyers are better than their lawyers. <laughs> we have It'll lawyers. Be fun. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure we don't have lawyers, <laughs> unless unless that's where that money's been going. <laughs> I was so, going to say, a big piece of our budget has been missing. I'm assuming it's lawyers. I hope it's lawyers. <laughs> I think it's lawyers. They really can't come up with an explanation for anything else. I know the the F1 translator doesn't cost that much in hosting fees to, to run every month. Uh, well, it is F1 related, so it was this does cost more than it reasonably should. But, yeah, you're is, mostly right, though. <laughs> is Brad Thompson charging us rent for the walls of fame and shame? Uh, no, but Randy Carricker is. So that Randy? Randy. You'd expect Ranji to do something like that, but not I Randy. <laughs> Randy's the spirit of St. Louis. I wouldn't expect him to be a ruthless landlord. Like, <laughs> it's like, you know, finding out Mary Poppins is actually a slumlord. Brutal. <laughs> I don't know what I like better, the Mary Poppins is a slumlord or the fact that you think Randy character is like Mary Poppins. Like the, vid- like the visual is, of Randy. <laughs> he is that nice. He's Mary Poppins, y'all. He, that nice. He is. He is a saint. But I like the visual of like him, like coming down, floating down with instead of an umbrella, it's a golf club. <laughs> yeah, like, and he's in Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, being like, "Who's that?" <laughs> Love it. Well, Love this it. is. <laughs> we didn't tell people what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about motorsports. We're the only motorsports podcast on the internet as well. Uh, as and that fact is true as long as you don't Google it. So, Tim, let's get right into the news. Tim, what do we have for the news this week? Wait, there's news? Yeah, that about sums it up. <laughs> I I had to dig the bottom of the barrel for news this week. It, here's the this thing. This is worse than wintertime. <laughs> it is. It is. Like, wintertime, you have one, maybe two, like, decently meaty stories, right? Um, there, I don't even know if there's been an article about an update, period, published in for Formula One. You know uh, what has been going around with Formula One with Twitter? What has um, The silly season. Yeah. yeah it's... And n- it is not newsworthy at any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so, uh, an episode we might do in an episode or two uh, might be where Luke and I say where we think the drivers will end up for 2021 if they, you know, it, there is a case to be made, I think, in international courts where – uh, the teams say, hey, we didn't have a 2020 season, so your contracts are still good through 2021, and then go from there. It's as if 2020 never happened, which I think everybody wants to do at this point, just hit the reset button and be like, that never went on. Yeah. But, um, you know, it might be fun to be like, hey, this is where we think this person will go. You know, will Seb remain in Ferrari? No. I don't think and, so. Yeah, and, uh, you know, where will Daniel Ricciardo end up because he's burned everything at Renault because it kind of sucks over there and all that good jazz. You know, it'd be fun would be like a rule to be like, you can't have a driver remain in place if his contract is up at the end of 2020. So you have to make a prediction that he goes to a different team. That would be, that would be a fun little caveat. You can do where you think they'll go. And then we're like, you're required to say, Oh, you know, Danny Rick goes somewhere else and you just have to make a stupid, bold prediction. That'd be kind of a fun little, fun little Uh, caveat. Let's do it. Yeah, so. that, yeah, we'll pencil that in for, for the next couple of weeks. I think next week we talked about um, uh, Sunshine and Lollipops episode after our worst episode ever last week, which... Um, a lot of salt. If you guys oh didn't God. listen to it, though, uh, I think that was one of our best episodes ever, just in terms of the amount of fun we had, the amount of laughs that were produced. Um, there's a lot of bad news in that episode, but it was fun to get through. I liked the salt. The salt was entertaining. It was, was and we got to kick old tracks that we really hated. So, <laughs> and new tracks that we hated Abu Dhabi. we need Chase Carey and, and Ross Braun to know that we will not stand much for bad tracks 
we will make bad jokes and give you garbage takes, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Garbage. Yes. Garbage. So this is, uh, this is the Formation Lab, home of garbage on the internet. That's our new slogan. <laughs> garbage motorsports on the internet. How about that? Garbage takes? We'll workshop it. I'll tell you what. I, I, went, I went scouring the bottom of the barrel for news this week, Tim, and I found a fun one that I, I don't think we'd even talk about on a normal week uh, where there's racing, but Texas Motor Speedway has become the center uh, for the IndyCar season question marks right now uh track president eddie gossage has expressed hope that the june 6th race will go forth with fans uh it's important to note that texas is second in the u.s in terms of population but 16th in total uh covid19 deaths but 39th in terms of deaths per million which is a really surprising apparently they're handling it pretty well in texas um texas is a very populous state and it's it's not like to our Europeans, you picture, you know, vast sprawling plains and they have that, but they also have like three cities that are huge. Dallas and Houston are very urban. So if they can control it there and in the more rural areas, they probably did, did it all right. They're uh, doing pretty well. And uh, I think the thing that the rest of the country is benefiting from where Chicago, New York and Los Angeles are suffering even though Los Angeles is doing pretty well, is population density. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, while it might be populous, they are more sprawled out. Like here in St. Louis, we're very fortunate that um, everybody took precautions early. Um, you know, say what you will about the population of St. Louis, we do care about our neighbors at the end of the day, regardless of uh, whatever disagreements we may have. Um, we're going to, you know, it's, a, it's an all-around community service-oriented city so when you have that kind of mindset uh you're more liable to do well so with this particular affliction yeah so with the knowledge that texas is doing well eddie gossage has kind of came out to two pop two uh possibilities for june 6th we're we're gonna have fans we're going to have a, there are three possibilities, I guess. We're going to have a race with fans. We're going to have a doubleheader NASCAR Cup race and IndyCar, or we're not going to have any races. And that's it. Uh, Eddie Gossage explained uh, that financially in NASCAR, race promoters receive two thirds of the TV package for an individual race. And that's how you know, they get their money. In IndyCars, their promoters receive no TV package money, but they do receive ticket sales. So Gossage says, hey, without any revenue to support uh, having to pay the sanctioning fee of an IndyCar race uh, or the purse, uh, there's no way to make it worse. In a, or make it work. In a perfect world, everything goes back to normal and there are fans. And if it doesn't, our hope is that NASCAR would look and see, well, Texas has this week of June 5th and 6th set aside for the NASCAR Truck Series and IndyCar. Let's plug in Cup and maybe Xfinity as well. We could easily run all four in one weekend. You could do without any fans. And you could have in place key staff, emergency medical, fire, and infield, hospital doctors, nurses, networks, etc. And Texas Motor Speedway is a huge place. And I think they could actually probably pull off the required skeleton crew just to get the show up and running, so to speak. I don't think it's a terrible idea. I just wonder if June 5th and 6th is a little early. I don't know. Um, Personally, I'm of the belief that uh, this affliction has been with us for a lot longer than anybody's been reporting. So I think we're on the downward side and I think June is actually a realistic expectation. So, um, you know, and with the parameters they're putting in place, I don't see that as an outrageous goal. If they were saying May, I would say, yeah, that you're not going to make that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but June. Yeah. All right. I, I think too, that, that this has a possibility of being a huge event. If it goes forward without fans is that like, can you imagine how sports-starved Americans are right now or worldwide people are, and they finally get anything? Man, people will be tuning in all over the place. People I, don't, I know don't even like the NFL. Randy Carriker uh, is going to watch the NFL draft. Why? Because it's the only tangible sports thing on that's been on in a month. So I think that, that would be a reasonable uh, – that would be reasonable to expect some good numbers for a live IndyCar, NASCAR doubleheader. Plus – I totally get those financials and it brings to question like how can IndyCar run races with no fans if the only way promoters get money is from the fans? 
it's a catch 22, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, bars aren't going to be profiting from showing the games. T- I mean, you're, you're relying solely on TV deals. So. Yeah. And if the IndyCar takes a hundred percent of it, which I'm sure they love, um, it, there's nobody's going to want to put on a race. But uh, it's does, not free to do that. <laughs> no. When does Penske take over? Uh, Penske is already in charge of, of IndyCar this year. So, so he yeah. might just take yeah. that hit. Honestly, Roger, Roger Penske has a really interesting uh, knack for taking the big picture into account. And, that he does. And, um, you know, he really plays the long game well. So I think he will take that long view and possibly make it make it work and figure it out for everybody. Maybe cut profits uh, and cut it down to, hey, here's what I absolutely need to make. And, um, you know, to get in the black, maybe go into the liver red a little bit um, if he can get some nice governmental benefit from it. But uh, he, he will be among the, the show must go on crowd. I think I think you hit the nail on the head, Penske. Granted, we haven't seen him as head of IndyCar yet, um, really do much, right? But uh, he is a big picture kind of guy. He got wealthy not through you know inheritance. He got wealthy because he has a good business acumen and he has this big picture kind of mentality to his business deals. So I wouldn't, I would expect what he whatever he would do to be with the overall growth of IndyCar in mind. Um, so I, I think it's, I think it's realistic to think that Penske might be able to work that, that budget around that arrangement and say, here's a one year exception. And this is how we're going to split it in the, for this year of 2020. Uh, one final note on the news side, uh, Twitter on Twitter, Texas governor, Greg Abbott said he spoke to NASCAR leaders and he gave blessing to races without fans at, uh, Texas motor speedway. So that's one big, that's one big hurdle. If, uh, if the government's okay with it, that's one of your biggest problems so um there you go yeah who, who knows i think i think that has a possibility to be a super awesome uh awesome event great draw for uh for tv eyeballs uh tim was there anything else i know there uh, williams was sort of in the news and on the f1 side this week williams was a little bit in the news they took out a loan which um was essentially money they borrowed from the Latifi family. Mm. If you've been following it in any way whatsoever, the, and by it, I mean the uh, relationship between Williams and Latifi, you know that this is not alone. They've been really close for a long time. Nicholas Latifi is the second driver now that Kubica is out and over at Alpha as their reserve driver. Um, you know, he is a big, he is a Lawrence Stroll level uh, investor in the team. And, Um, the investment he just made is not a loan, uh, so far as I can tell as much as a, uh, an, an acquisition essentially. So I, I don't see that as, uh, anything good for the future of Williams as it is that it was a loan, uh, with collateral being like the museum, the, uh, the technology center, things like that. It was a lot. And, um, I think when we get toward the meteor part, if there is a meteor part of F1 this year, you're going to see a major management shakeup at Williams. Um, and that will be a telltale sign that will, the Williams family is out. I, I think it's over. And I think for the, for the betterment, we've talked about this before for the betterment of Williams, at least Claire needs to step down. The Williams family probably needs to step out at some point and just realize that with all due respect to Claire, uh, there's really, she hasn't exactly done a bang up job of navigating the team towards success, uh, financial success. So I just, at a certain point, you got to look at something you love and say, I'm doing this, I'm only harming you. And so I've got to let, let the bird out of the cage, let it fly. Right. Um, yeah, Are I know. Making a profound statement about love. Perhaps. <laughs> Interesting on a motorsport podcast. Yeah, you wouldn't expect me to be the romantic type, but I'm definitely not. Boldly going where no motorsport podcast has gone before. (laughs) Uh, But at a certain point, you have to look at something like that and say, I'm only doing harm, and you have to let the bird out of the cage. And I think that that it's time for Claire and the Williams family to do that because at this point, it's not working. So 
it might be in the best interest for Williams to have that kind of shakeup if we do get to a meatier part of the F1 season or if we just go to the silly season all over again. Um, <laughs> uh, let's not talk about so, that. But yeah, that, I believe, sir, is all the, quote, news that is fit to peruse from the world of motorsport. <laughs> At this point last year, we wouldn't have even published those two. We wouldn't even talked about those two stories because they're kind of nothing burgers. And, well, it's not even a burger. It's just nothing. It's <laughs> literally nothing. And, you know, you and I wouldn't have even spent this much. We have beaten and drawn out the daylights out of this thing. So, yeah, it, it's, it's bizarre because even last week we had enough to talk about in the news. It's just that this specific week has been that dull. So in uh, in lieu of that, we're going to kick it to a commercial break real quick, and we have kind of an extended story time uh, to talk about uh, one of my favorite motorsports seasons, one of my favorite, not for a good reason, but from a human interest and intriguing standpoint, um, one of the most legendary seasons of motorsport in my mind. And we're going to talk about the 2011 IndyCar season and just kind of all the madness and legendary moments that happened in that season it's coming up next on the formation lap with 101 espn na, 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 na. that's staying in the formation lab hey kids you want to hear a story today's is about lying cheating feuds and crimes it's time for story time with Luke and Tim. Welcome back, everybody, to the Formation Lab. And you heard the intro. It's time for story time with Luke and Tim. Uh, you know, it's been a while since we've got to use that intro. I don't even know if it, if it made it to a uh, to an episode yet, but uh, that is a, that is our uh, a real artistic intro. Do you you remember that intro, right? The uh, it's time for story time with Luke and Tim. Yay! <laughs> I love it. I, and I love stories. You know me. So, so that, is, that is my favorite thing. So I'm going to regale you with a tale, Tim. And um, Tim, you weren't exactly an IndyCar guy in 2011, but uh, you remember the year well, I assume, because it was a wonderful year for sports in general. Uh, the, the baseball went uh, to 162, 163 games. It, multiple teams came down to one you know, one last game after 162 game season to see if they made the playoffs. Cardinals won the World Series after being, what, like 18 games back and <laughs> near the end of the season. Games back to no, 18 games back to start the month of August. Yeah, um, and so they made this tear of a run. They got in. They backed into the playoffs as was Tony Larusa's want, and uh, they with one game in the. I think it was the Braves. Mm-hmm. That had to win, and then we had a wild card game uh, where we won, and we went to I believe it was Philadelphia first. It was Philadelphia because I remember Game Five of Philadelphia was Chris Carpenter versus Roy Halladay in my favorite baseball game of all time. Uh, it was a just an absolute pitchers duel, two of the best pitchers I've ever seen pitch. Just go at it. It was great, but. Pitchers duel one run in the first frame, and that was it the rest of the night. They were dealing. And I think the thing I remember most from that series is a guy standing in the uh, outfield bleachers in Philly saying, you can't beat four aces. I'm like, we've got Lance Berkman and Albert Pujols. Get out of here. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, it, it went well. And then, obviously, we went to Milwaukee, played them, and then we went to the series. And, Wow. But uh, yeah. what a World Series. That was something you'll, something we'll never forget. And as a backdrop, in the background of the American conscious, as IndyCar is wont to be sometimes, IndyCar was having a season for the ages as well. Uh, so I'm going to just kind of tell you the story about the 2011 IndyCar season. And I want to really focus on four characters. All right, Tim, you probably recognize these guys. Uh, you have Dario Franchitti. Uh, Dan Weldon, Will Power, and J.R. Hildebrand. So we're going to tell the story through uh, four races, and we're going to or we're going to tell the story in like four different periods. We're going to focus on 
on the uh, on the drivers there. So let's start with uh, Dario Franchitti. Dario needs no introduction. He is one of the best IndyCar drivers of all time. Even F1 heads know Dario Franchitti. He's a great, great driver. And at this time in, in 2011, uh, Dario Franchitti is a three-time champion, and he's returning to Chip Ganassi Racing uh, for 2011 season. Uh, he started off just absolutely smashing it in St. Pete. He won by 7.5 seconds over Will Power, and Will Power came in second. Let's talk about Will Power. Uh, in 2009, Will Power was uh, sitting kind of in the background trying to figure out how to get into IndyCar because he had a tough time in 2008 after the, the merger. And he uh, got his first shot to drive when Helio Castroneves had to fight tax evasion charges in 2009, and there was an empty seat. He took that seat. And he impressed with uh, flashes of brilliance, a win in Edmonton. And then in 2010, he got a full-time seat, and uh, he would go on to win the road course title in IndyCar. It was actually, if I believe, the first ever Mario Andretti trophy, which is what you get for the, uh, for the road course. I could be wrong, but I tend to remember that was the first like, actual name. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, Going back through the back catalog of races on YouTube. Thank you, YouTube. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe that's correct. Yeah. So Will Power is young, he's talented, and he's proven that on road courses he's the best in 2010. So let's go to 2011. Comes in second in St. Pete by 7.5 seconds for time, Dario Franchini. Uh, he would go on, he'd get his win, and he'd fire back the next round at Barber Motorsports Park in Alabama. So already you're looking at these two guys going – all right, they've made their statements to open up the open up the season and and what a season it would be. And this is kind of emblematic of how this is going to play play out. Frankiti takes third place in Long Beach. Uh, power lagged behind in tenth, and this is where you start to see Power had a couple races where he just kind of finished too far behind Frankiti and let those points open up. But he always storms back in Sao Paulo. He get a first place to Dario Frankiti's fourth. Right, it's. We're four races in, and you know these guys have basically dueled pound for pound all over these four races. You, you see these two guys and go, "All right, well, th- here's your two contenders." Still, way too early in the season, especially for IndyCar, but you start to see these guys as just you know contenders, oh. and they're going to fight right there. You oh, see oh. the fight coming out right now. Let's uh, let's let's next race is the 2011 Indy 500. And let's talk about Dan Weldon. Tim, I know you know how this story ends, um, but let's not spoil it for any of our new listeners who maybe don't uh, know the story of the 2011 season. But Dan Weldon was a fantastic racer. Uh, He won the Indy 500 in 2005. He won the Indy Championship in 2005. He's the IndyCar champion. And in 2010, we'll, we'll rewind it back to 2010, all right? Dan Weldon is on this successful team called Panther Racing that no longer exists. Uh, Panther Racing uh, has an IndyCar title to their name. They kind of, they expect success out of their drivers, right? Um, and in um, 20... They were, they were kind of like uh, the ascendant team. Yeah, absolutely. expected to be, you know, in years to come duking it out with the front runners. So you had high expectations, not only for the team, but the drivers and the results. And as we see with these ascendant teams, sometimes they place really high expectations that are very hard to match. And this was no exception with Dan Weldon, right? Uh, He challenged for wins on ovals, but he never grabbed any victories in 2010. And if you're on a team that's, you know, an ascendant team, you know, think in Formula One, a Ferrari or a Red Bull, you you I expect that kind of thing. Apt, the apt comparison mm-hmm. because in Formula One at this particular time, Red Bull was going for their second uh, consecutive double championship with the drivers and the constructors. So you had Panther on the other side, and you were thinking, okay, so we've got some you know new blood in the mix. We've got some new power. This is great. It, it was, and he actually didn't. Even though he didn't win a race, he didn't have a terrible showing in Indy. He finished uh, he finished ninth in the drivers' championship. Uh, Highlighted by a second-place finish in the 2010 Indy 500, which no driver on earth – I mean, every driver's disappointed that they didn't win, but every driver would look at a second-place finish at the Indy 500 and go, I'll take that all day, every day. Teams would as well. 
So ownership's not happy with Dan Weldon uh, after not winning any races in 2010. And Weldon leaves the team at the end of the season. Uh, and here's where it gets interesting is that Weldon files a lawsuit against Panther Racing. And this is really kind of a thing because at the time, again, Panther Racing was pretty pretty well-run outfit he says that they failed to pay his salary and his share of earnings and it's it's something like three hundred and fifty thousand dollars or a little more than that like so to hear this was kind of like oh man who that's to, for a team like panther racing you wouldn't expect you know a team that's in the front runner or a team that's a former champion to be doing that as compared to you know maybe a lower tier team right um, yeah like you wouldn't just surprise you a force india you know kind of was like oh hey uh, sorry we can't pay you for the next couple weeks well in fact they yeah they they actually did that that's exactly (laughs) what happened so anyway we digress yeah we digress um weldon leaves the team and uh he he doesn't think he's gonna race in 2011 because not only is he suing the team at this point but Panther Racing has found this new rookie that they really like to fill his seat uh that rookie's name is J.R. Hildebrandt. (laughs) J.R. Hildebrandt is now full-time, a full-time rookie in IndyCar at a very successful Panther, moderately successful Panther racing team. Uh, And Dan is out of a job in 2011, and he is convinced he's not going to race at all in 2011. Uh, He had no full-time ride, and uh, the former Indy champ, joined the booth for the first four races of the season. And if you watch those first four races, he really is good at commentary. He interplays well with the, uh, with the crew. And it's one of those cases where, you know, every once in a while a player in some sport steps into the commentary booth and you go, that guy's got a future. And Jensen this, Button. Yeah. Jensen Button. Yeah, exactly. Um, Brad Thompson. Brad Tom- Brad Thompson is a great example. Shout out to our boy Brad. Uh, but uh, yeah, you, you could tell he had a future. But he's still he's not young. But you know he's he's race capable. He's totally wants to go back. But he's just like I'm going to take 2011 off. Um, turns out that in you know May. IndyCar does what IndyCar does. They go, oh, shoot, we got to field 33 cars for, you know, the Indy 500. Let's get all sorts of drivers up in here. And, Tim, what do you think the hottest commodity on the market would be? Would it be – Could it have been Dan Weldon? I think it, I think it was because, you know, he, he was an Indy champ, uh, both an IndyCar – champ who doesn't have a drive. So yeah. those a steering wheel. Yeah, those don't come along every day. No, that's uh, that's Fernando Alonso that you want to put in your seat if Fernando Alonso didn't come with a lot of baggage. Yep. Uh, we, we haven't used the Fernando watch sounder in a while. Dang it. <laughs> okay, so back to Dan Weldon. He's a hot commodity, and he has deals worked up with all sorts of teams. He has interest from teams, shall we say. Not deals, but interest, okay? Now, those deals kind of shuffled around, and they fell through, and – he eventually talks to his former teammate, Brian Herta. Brian Herta owns his own team. It's a very low budget team. Uh, it's, uh, you know, Brian and Dan are good friends. And he goes, Hey, I have a ride for you for Indy if, if you want it. Uh, but I can only give you this ride uh, for Indy and our contract will expire basically May 30th at midnight. Dan takes it. And this car, it was, it was purchased off of Sam Schmidt Racing. Remember that name. And he, it's a 2003 spec chassis. Uh, it is it's, – it's the IndyCar equivalent of a hoopty. I'll just say that. <laughs> IndyCar equivalent of the bobsled and cool runnings that they went out and bought to go, you know, run for the gold. That is exactly the, the scenario. It, it, exactly it, but the great thing about indie is that like you're still allowed to do that you still see you know people do that to this day you know the lazier family every once in a while will you know, pull an old car a 2013 car out of the shed and be like guess we're gonna go race in indie uh it, it's it's what is this old puppy up see if she's still <laughs> got some see the dog will hunt 
takes it takes off that like you know dusty uh cover that you see on some back barn in rural indiana it's in a barn it has, <laughs> to, be in a barn. <laughs> it has to be in a barn a montage like a 20 like a you know two the minute ships. montage and it goes from yeah. like <laughs> the paint chips to like beautiful pristine car <laughs> has to share it with a donkey and a pig i'm just saying <laughs> but that's the thing that makes indy great is like because there's you know 20 some odd indy car drivers at any time there's 33 spots a lot of people can get into that race that like little Junco's racing. Yeah. Like little Junco's racing. They can even knock out a big old team like a uh, McLaren. So <laughs> oh, I'm going to miss that storyline this summer. Dog. Uh, uh, I mean, we do have, we do have, uh, you know, what is it? McLaren arrow SP McLaren arrow McLaren SP, <laughs> whatever they're called now. Something they're called something, but something tells me that they're a little better run. Anyway, back to Dan Weldon. Dan Weldon enters in this hoopty, this 2003 spec car. And again, this is 2011. It's almost a decade old at this point. But something interesting happens in qualification. You start to see the, the established teams at this time, the Penske's, right? The Yankees of IndyCar really aren't doing all that well. In fact, Penske, I think, will be only have one driver in the Fast 9. You know who was in the Fast 9, Tim? What? Was it Dan? It was Dan Weldon in his hoopty. <laughs> Just give him give him four wheels and a in a steering or four tires and a steering wheel. He'll get it there. Absolutely, and that's one of the things I want to highlight is Dan was a supremely talented driver. Dan was a very very good driver. He happened to not have a very good car at this point, um, but he was it not racing. Put it where it should have been. Right. He was not racing for a lack of talent, <laughs> right? He was not racing just because of contract issues. He bit, he bit the corporate hand that fed him, and somebody said that guy's got too much raw talent to be sitting on the sidelines. So mm-hmm. here, he, here he is yep. in the Fast 9 in the 2011 Indy 500. And, uh, you know, he's got an eight-year-old chassis. He's one of the fastest cars out there. By the way, I will say that uh, I think J.R. Hildebrand qualified 12th. So J.R. Hildebrand had a pretty nice qualification, too. Alex Tagliani sat on pole. Race comes, and we're going to fast-forward the race to lap 164. All right, Dario Franchitti and J.R. Hildebrand. Remember, Dario's in the middle of a title, in early settings of a title battle with, with Will Power. Dario Franchitti and J.R. Hildebrand top off their gas under caution, thinking that they can get to the end of the race uh, once it goes green. The race leaders, it gets to about, you know, lap 190, and the race leaders all eventually pit one by one. And that leaves three guys up front. Uh, Bertrand Baguette, who I remember now that I have to read his name, but other than that, I have never... <laughs> I have no memory of Bertrand Baguette. Frenchman named after bread. I mean, it's hard not to. (laughs) I mean, if there is a stereotypical French name, it would probably be like Pierre Baguette. So, (laughs) but anyway. (laughs) Monsieur Baguette. (laughs) Yeah, Monsieur Baguette. Uh, Simon Peggs is going to be on. He's going to give me trouble for that. (laughs) We need to have, next time he's on, we need to have him uh, say, you know, this is. this is Jean Girard. <laughs> and uh, Ricky Booby does not listen to the... The of the week. <laughs> God, I love that guy. All right. He's so nice. On. All right, all right. So we're, there's Bertrand Bar- Baguette. Everywhere. Right. So the 10 laps left, all right? Bertrand okay. Baguette is, is sitting up near the front. And the other two guys that are fighting him are Dario Franchitti and J.R. Hildebrand. This rookie in the, in the Indy 500, you have a, a living legend in the sport, Dario Franchitti, who is in the middle of another title battle. And you have a completely unheard Bertrand Baguette, surprisingly up front. This is like 10 laps to go. They're fighting for it. And you look at that and you go, oh, my goodness, this is going to be something special. It's something special it was. All right, with three laps to go, Bertrand Baguette goes, I can't make it to the end. So he has to come in for fuel. Dario Franchitti turns slows down turns down his fuel consumption because he can't make it to the end either without slowing down so he starts to fade here comes jr hildebrand rookie in a brand new seat rookie in dan weldon's seat okay two laps to go he's about to win the indy 500 and as a rookie that is just something you always dream of you always dream of winning the indy 500 but as a rookie it's crazy right when alex rossi did it in 2016 it was 
unbelievable. And here's J.R. Hildebrand, two laps to go, takes the white flag, gets, gets around first half, takes turn three, turn four comes, and here's Charlie Kimball coming on the inside. Charlie Kimball is in front of him, and all J.R. Hildebrand has to do is get past Charlie Kimball in turn four. And he's, he's Indy 500 champion. So he goes around the outside, and J.R. Hildebrand kind of put too much gas in the turn, shall we say. He went outside. He went high around Kimball, but he didn't ease off the throttle quite enough, and he slams into the outside wall. And he loses his front right and his back right tire. I mean, they're just they're, – they're gone, right? And he is – Heartbreak. Heartbreak. The whole of the the Indy Motor Speedway is just in shock at what they just saw happen. A guy had a win gifted to him, and he broke it. But Jerry Hildebrand, he's not going to give up easy. He steps on it, right? He's rocking two wheels. He's grinding against the wall, but he still steps on it because he knows all I have to do is keep sliding across the finish line, wheels attached to this thing or not, and I, I can be the winner of the Indy 500. So he gets within a thousand feet of the finish line. Tim's doing the little finger like this close, and a car blasts by him on his left hand side. And J.R. Hildebrand finishes second in a wrecked car, crossing the finish line behind Dan Weldon. Dan Weldon comes you out of the finish first. First, you have to finish. And Dan Weldon, the wily veteran, got it done he did and in a spectacular fashion he passes jr hildebrand the guy who took his seat after he left panther racing he did it with an eight-year-old chassis and he he won the indy 500 and again he didn't even have a have a you know contract for the next race one of the best finishes to any race you'll ever see 2011 was a rare year for uh, racing. You had Canada 2011. You had in Formula One with Jensen Button pulling off the unimaginable, and you had this race. So the month, the summer was just what a time to be alive as a race fan. As a sporting fan, you had the Cardinals in the fall. So if you were in St. Louis and you were into motorsports and baseball, I mean, you cannot top 2011. It's just not ever going to happen. One of, one of the best years just for sports as a whole. I mean, even if you're not a Cardinals fan, the, the baseball was intriguing up until the last day. You know, it, and motorsports was unreal that year. Dan Weldon, in, in a one-shot ride in an eight-year-old chassis, beats eight his former team. And, and I, I can't stress this enough. Eight years old, a, a decade, years makes no difference, a decade in motorsport, that may as well be 50 years. Mm-hmm. It, you yeah, took it, an ancient car and you won the Indy 500. <laughs> what? <laughs> Never doubt Dan Weldon's talent. This guy, he was so good. It, it, obviously, everybody yeah. goes bananas. All right, there are people to this day that say that that was the best inning to an Indy 500. And when there's over 100 of them, you know that's saying something. Every, everybody disagrees sometimes on, on what the best one is, but everybody mentions that time J.R. Hildebrand slammed into the wall and turned forward. Dan Weldon got his victory. It's his second Indy 500 victory, and his contract was up. That was, that was it. That was it for his season all at that wrote. point. Yeah, that was all she wrote. And you know what, Luke? If it were me, that would be I'd hang it up. I'd be like, you know what? I I took I did I made a Herculean effort. I won. That's it. That's how everybody can remember me. Yeah. Smell you later, everybody. I'm gonna go write a book and hit the press tour forever. And that's that's kind of what he did. I mean, he just kind of sat there for uh, most of the rest of the year. We're going to fast forward to New Hampshire in 2011. Uh, let's actually, you know what? Let's go back a couple races from New Hampshire. It's the waning moments, uh, middle to end of the season. Uh, Will Power is still facing Dario Franchitti. We're going to focus on these two again here. 
both drivers have an already impressive four wins. All right. Like that's a pretty solid, you know, win total already, but will power finish 21st in Iowa. And that really hurt him. All right. Going into Toronto, will power was supreme at recovering races, right? And still is to this day. He goes into Toronto and he has the lead, but he spun out and crashed out of the race, finishing in 24th place. And you know who the culprit was for spitting Will Power out of the race right there? Let me guess. Does it rhyme with Dario Schmishmini? Uh, you were thinking of it. It rhymes with uh, Mario Alpini. I, I don't know. <laughs> Dario, it's Dario Franchitti. Dario Franchitti spins Will Power out in Toronto and goes on to win the, win the race. He's in first place. All right. Will Power finishes in 24th place. And all of a sudden, Will Power is steamed. All right. He's got, he saw this great, you know, battle. And after a 20th and a 24th place finish with Dario Franchitti, you know, finishing fairly well uh, and then winning in Toronto, that's a huge gap to overcome now with going into six races left in the season in New Hampshire. All right. After, so after Toronto, uh, Power reeled off a first in Edmonton in the following race, uh, but Frankie finishes third, so there's not really you know a, a big points change. Mid Ohio, uh, Power puts up a 14th to Frankie's second. Again, gap grows. Right, New Hampshire is Power's chance. Dario Frankie runs the first half of the race absolutely dominating. You're thinking this is this is it, right? Dario Frankie is just going to run away with this. It, the young gun was great, but I don't, I don't just don't think, you know, Dario Franchitti's on a roll right now, right? Mm-hmm. He crashes into the wall right after the first half of the race for a 20th place DNF, and Will Power starts to lick his chops. All right, he's running, I think it was top five at the moment. And uh, caution. Live and yeah. blood in the water. And Will Power, if he's proven anything since 2011, it said he's extremely opportunistic, and if you show him anything that resembles a gap, he's going for it, period. Absolutely. And he, sm- he smelled all this blood in the water. So imagine his disappointment uh, in lap 206 of 225. Yellow flag flies. There's rain on the track, okay? Indy cars cannot run in rain. I cannot stress this enough. F1 fans, like... Yeah, we run in rain. You guys, F1 fans, F1 doesn't even run well in rain. Indy cars run less well in rain. And it's an oval. It's it's absolutely stupid to suggest that, you know, Indy cars should run in an oval in rain, right? Like, that's just common really knowledge. understand. This is a, it would be apocalyptic to have that happen in terms of danger. So... So, obviously, drivers and, and teams are going, yeah, well, that's it. I mean, we can't race in this. 1-800, nope. Yeah, no, 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 this is way too dangerous, way too dangerous. Oh, let me introduce you to Brian Barnhart. He's attached to IndyCar. He's, uh, he's you know, a guy who calls the races for, uh, you know, calls race control for IndyCar. And he goes, nope, we're going to go green flag with seven to go in the rain. Everybody go, everybody disliked that. Okay, they waved the green green flag. Danica Patrick, who I should mention, she's a meme now after her NASCAR career, but she was a very good IndyCar driver. She's extremely good IndyCar. Extremely driver. good. Like, uh, would have had a very comfortable career had she just stayed there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she wrecks and she and takes wheel. It's better than NASCAR. I'm sorry. It, it totally is. is. I don't. Come on, Danica. It's saying Formula One. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I would just let that get a hold. Anyway, Danica Patrick with seven to go, green flag flies, and she spins out. Not because I don't want to hear the – I don't want to hear Danica Patrick. She wrecks all the time. Because it's wet outside and everybody struggled. And she took in five – car. In an Indy car. A car that they don't do well in the – they don't even drive in the rain practically. Hey, tell you what. I'm going to have you sprinting on a track against Usain Bolt. In the last 10 meters, I'm putting a sheet of ice. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> so she takes yeah. she takes five cars out in this wreck. And, of course, it was controversial. Would you wager to guess who was in that wreck? 
who was smelling blood in the water not, you know, 20 minutes ago? Was it Will? It was Will Power. And Will. It was our way boy, go, Will. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I got a little Well, here. you will be saying way to go, Will, because it, what followed was one of the most memeable IndyCar moments, one of the most memorable IndyCar moments of the decade, unironically. Will Power is pissed, all right? He smells blood in the water. He thinks, this is my opportunity to get back in the championship. And Brian Barnhart, you started a race in the middle of rain when everybody, the teams, the drivers were on the radio saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And you tanked my championship hopes he gets out of his car he storms down pit lane on like donkey kong <laughs> he is he is on he is Can in front of we're seeing willpower today what a young angry willpower would look like marching <laughs> at you. he was I, my, you can keep your Michael Schumacher. Like, I'll take Michael Schumacher <laughs> today coming to me. Go for it. Willpower, I'm getting out of the way, and I'm hiding, and I'm hide, um, I might, you know, pursue witness protection from the <laughs> FBI because Jesus. This guy, he was living. So he's, let me paint the picture. He's in front of 30,000 fans, all right, in front of God himself and in front and on camera, right? Camera's pointed straight at him live on ABC, all right, national television. He storms down pit road. He looks up. He finds exactly where race control is, the control tower. And on TV and in front of the fans, double bird up to Brian Barnhart. <laughs> Caught live on TV. If you guys haven't seen it, just Google willpower flipping the bird. That is a man willpower enraged. Should, that should do it. <laughs> it is a man Ooh. enraged and just he hated hated that call power said post-race quote he makes such bad calls all the time this is about brian barnhart this has got to be it they cannot have this guy running the show because that was a decision that put a lot of drivers in danger in danger you saw how many people crashed on the front straight it was no condition to race in shame on him (laughs) (laughs) 1-800, yikes. He is, he is so mad, and rightfully so, right? Like, it, there's no reason you should start an IndyCar oval race in the rain. It's no. stupid. Even it if it is New Hampshire, which isn't exactly the fastest track, don't no. do it. It's dumb. Horrible. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but he, that, that, was, that was an epic. Let, let's call it a, a slagging off to yes. uh, appease our friends on the other side of the pond. He ripped him a new one, and it was epically beautiful. It, it, it's, it's the only Formula One thing that is similar, and I would argue doesn't even come close, is uh, Sebastian Vettel moving the one and the two. I think Will Powers double flipping off on TV was just that much more spectacular. Double was, flipping off the bird is, uh, is the most – okay, here's what it is. Double flipping the bird is to what Seb did, what uh, a heavy metal rock concert while chugging a Budweiser is during a guitar solo to, uh, you know, a little uh, piano concert from a 10-year-old. That's what that is like. It's it's ranked up to, like, the next three degrees, right? Like, it's just, it's so much more. Several orders of magnitude cooler. (laughs) Um, you know, so willpower has my utmost respect for that, but, and yeah, he was acting selfishly. Yes, of course. But he was also acting in the best interest of the drivers. That was hilariously dangerous. Someone could have died and, you know, screw anyone that was involved in that decision. You did it out of pure greed. Yeah. Cause you won't, you didn't want, Oh, race room. You know, powers fine $30,000. And this is one of my favorite little anecdotes uh, at the end of this story that doesn't always get told. Powers fined $30,000 uh, for this gesture. Uh, he has to be paid it. However, fellow drivers, and not all of them Penske drivers, a lot of fellow drivers, urged fans to send a dollar apiece to Penske, Team Penske, to offset the funds because they believed Will Power's actions were justified. They, they, they thought it was so worth it that they were like, no, you guys, we should all get together and pay this for him because he, doesn't, he shouldn't be punished for that. He was right. We should all crowd. Well, let's crowdsource this. Fine. So, oh my God. Will Power later donated those uh, to to uh, 
to charity. I believe it was to flooding in Australia in 2011 or the Indiana State Fair disaster in 2011, one of the two. But he donated it to charity. But I love the fact that other drivers were like, no, send, send money to our rival team so that that $30,000 isn't, isn't, you know, can be offset. <laughs> yeah, even though he makes millions as a race car driver. Absolutely. Sorry. There's a there's a cut point if we need it. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. So no, you're all good. He's just deciding that he wants to wake up and go to the bathroom. So ow, Oh yeah. He got me this morning. I, I wonder what that was. Stop it. I mean it. Go on. Go on. Eat it. Go. Go. Over there. Hey. All right. Sorry. Let's go. All right. All right, so on to Las Vegas. Now, at this point, Las Vegas was the season finale, and it was called the was it IZOD IndyCar World Championship was the name of the race. Yeah. And Power, following New Hampshire, reeled off two wins and a second place over the next three races. So, again, dude responds very well to bad races. Uh, he's had a very terrible finish in Kentucky, but he comes into Las Vegas just 18 points shy of Dario Franchitti. And the way the point system worked, he needed obviously to finish ahead of Dario. But he didn't do it by a good chunk, but the way it was going, power had proven that he could win races and Dario Franchitti could have bad races. This was not out of the realm of possibility for willpower to do this. So you have this kind of one race situation in Las Vegas where it's like, oh man, you know, this could be, a finale right here right yeah and let's talk about las vegas real quick las vegas is it's a medium length oval but it features what's called progressive banking so it kind of gets steeper on the way up it's a very very fast track for indy cars uh like it is just blisteringly fast and the high line is just as fast as the low line so it encourages pack racing as well uh for indy cars and you know for nascar if they would ever get back to pack racing um and and there's there's an interesting thing that in 2011 they decided to do uh and that was called the five million dollar challenge i love five million dollars give me that you like five million dollars I would take it. You would take it? Oh, absolutely. Oh, you know, I, I just don't have it to offer, but next time I stumble across $5 million, I'll give it your way. Hey, I appreciate that. Which that's kind of what this was. Uh, <laughs> IndyCar, <laughs> IndyCar basically said, hey, uh, we're going to put a 34th car on the grid uh, to any driver outside of IndyCar, and you have to enter from the back of the field, all right? There's a $5 million purse involved here. And he, they got offers from, uh, I think it's Travis Pastrana wanted to do it, but then Travis Pastrana was too awesome and broke his ankle or something like that. Um, that, that. That was back in his heyday, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing that Travis Pastrana can do that's, like, uncool. The dude is just – he's, like, Mount Rushmore of extreme sports. Is God him. made him out of just cool. He did. It's like him, Tony Hawk, and Sean White are like the Mount Rushmore, the holy trinity of extreme sports. He's just too cool. Oh, my God. <laughs> Come on, though. Tell me you didn't worship him growing up. Travis Pastrana was awesome. He was very cool. I'll give you that. <laughs> so, anyway, Travis Pastrana breaks his leg. And IndyCar kind of finagles the rules a little bit to go, you know what, just any driver that has, hasn't run a full season in IndyCar, we'll throw him in the back of the grid, $5 million on the line. And Dan Weldon, who hasn't raced, who hasn't raced at all since winning the Indy 500, goes, well, that's my tune. Sam Schmidt Motorsports contacts him. And Sam Schmidt, remember, is the team that provided the chassis to Brian Herta Motorsports that won the Indy 500. So there's a relationship there. He gets in, he starts talking to Sam Schmidt. And around that time too, uh, he signs a contract. He found a full-time ride with Andretti Autosport, which is just, you know, it's Andretti. Everybody loves that name, right? Same with Penske. Andretti is just a name that every driver wants to drive for. Um, full-time ride for 2012. So, 
he's got a man. I, everything's coming up him. He's got a full ride next year. All right. He's just got to enter this race in, in Las Vegas and he'll get paid. So he does a, he does a tune up race in Kentucky. Doesn't do too well, but again, you know, he's running in a extra car that Sam Schmidt had lying around basically. And he starts in the back of the grid. The race goes 11 laps, and this is where the story becomes not fun at all. Uh, Wade Cunningham, who was a teammate of Dan Weldon, clipped into the car of Rookie of the Year James Hinchcliffe. Uh, Cunningham swerves, and he hits J.R. Hildebrand. Hildebrand climbs over the back of Cunningham's car. And, I mean, this is quickly blows up into a huge wreck racing through that are willpower and Dan Weldon. And it's important to note there's like five, six, maybe more cars involved. I didn't exactly want to pause it and count, but there's a lot of cars involved. Remember this is a pack race, big, big pack race. Maybe the biggest, one of the biggest crashes in, in modern IndyCar history for sure. Uh, racing through our willpower and Dan Weldon and both entered the scene in the middle of turn one at, pretty much full speed. You didn't really have to lift all that much in Las Vegas. Uh, both of them launched into the air. Uh, Power narrowly avoided taking a flying tire to the head, and he came down really hard on the safety safer barriers. Uh, Weldon was not so lucky. He launched into the air, and his car pitched right. Um, so he went kind of head, like the top of his head first into the into the safety fencing and that killed him uh, pretty much immediately. Dan Weldon uh, passed in at about three o'clock that day. I mean, it was, it was complete silence for a long time. And about three o'clock that day, uh, Sam Schmidt announced that uh, Dan Weldon uh, didn't make it, which kind of was a foregone conclusion at that point. Um, It was, you just you looked at it and you knew uh if you've ever seen that crash i don't recommend watching the video of it uh i did it just to kind of break down it's it's a brutal crash um if you want a, to watch a crash go watch uh scott dixon crash at indy because he it was a miracle he lived so but uh it's this is this is not a good one and everybody knew yeah it was a very somber time and everybody knew uh, right away that, you know, Dan Weldon was probably didn't make it. And IndyCar cancels the remaining 188 laps. And uh, upon learning of the death, the drivers all returned to their cars. Uh, they did a Indy style three wide parade lap, uh, five parade laps. All the crews were at their posts and uh, they did it in honor of Dan. Uh, all of the, you know, scoring pylons were switched off and just displayed his number 77 uh, Amazing Grace was playing on the PA system is a very somber moment. And IndyCar decided that obviously we can't finish this race. We're just going to list it as C for canceled. And that is how the 2011 season finished. Uh, you didn't get your willpower triumphantly overcoming Dario Franchitti. Uh, Dario Franchitti entered the race in the points lead. And IndyCar didn't feel it would be right to award any points anywhere in the race, so they just said that's it. Uh, Dario Franchitti is four-time champion. Will Power, um, let's let's end this on a somewhat positive note, shall we? Will Power is now a three-time champion, and Will Power is a tremendous racer. Uh, he lived, um, and Dario Franchitti, uh, he's re- since retired, but again, just legend of, of the sport. Um, I, you know, one of the interesting things about old tracks and like old, uh, some of those famous tracks on earth, let's say one of the most interesting things about them is they all seem to pick their own winner. Have you ever noticed that? Like when you go to Interlagos, it's not who you think is going to win. Interlagos just kind of picks who it's going to win and says, nope, this guy's going to win and this is going to happen. They have their own nature, right? It's like they're their own old school gods who just kind of decide on a whim what's going to happen. Uh, Spa does the same thing. Yeah. 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 And Indianapolis Motor Speedway is no exception. So I like to think that the Indy, you know, IMS kind of knew 
what was coming and Dan Weldon's last victory was right there at Indy Motor Speedway, uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway at the 2011 Indy 500. Like, obviously, you know, you, you don't wish that on, on anybody and it was a very tragic way to go, but what, like, it's kind of a, it's kind of a bittersweet send off to go out Indy 500 champion, you know? It's not the way anybody thinks they should go. No one should die in a race car. Absolutely. Unfortunately, it is a risky take. And you know that Dan was doing what he loved. He did. And I want to point out that, that no, nobody should die in a race car. Because while this is going on, Dan Weldon, free agent driver, he does, he's doing a little bit of safety testing with a company called Delara. And Delara is making the next generation of IndyCar chassis to be introduced in the 2012 season. And it is called the Delara DW12, which is still in use today. Uh, some modifications have been made since then. But the Delara DW12 is what's raced today. Uh, DW after Dan Weldon, 12 after the year it was introduced. And uh, that car is, it hasn't had a perfect safety record, but it has had a very, very, very good safety record, shall we say. That's and true. so... And so, like, it's kind of just like here's his his one of his final little bits of his legacy was the car he tested saved a lot of lives, you know. It, yeah. it, it's bittersweet, but you know it's what a, a it is a Senna esque legacy. So it is. That's off to him. And so that's it's just there's no way to react to this story in any way other than just a somber moment of reflection saying, you know, thinking that while there are worse ways, it's still not the way you wanted to go out, especially with someone who's talent as big a talent as he was. Um, he would still be dominating today. He, he would, he would be, I'd like to think that, you know, he would be in the booth, right? He'd be in the booth right now, giving us great analysis after, you know, winning a, another indie or two and, you know, having a great ride, great end of his career with Andretti. Yeah. But I, I said going in that this is one of my favorite stories in the season in terms of like IndyCar seasons, not because it's the most fun story. Um, it doesn't have the most fun ending, right? But there's just it's such kind of like a poetic. It's poetic. It's it's a tragedy, but it is poetic. Uh, you know, to to go out the champion. You know, to definitely poetic. Yeah. Yeah, it, to for Dario Franchitti and Will Power to be fighting all season only for, you know, everybody to just kind of put it down at the end and go, this is Dario's champion, we don't care anymore, you know. Um, so that's the story of the 2011 IndyCar season. It's tragedy, uh, it's a bit of comedy, it's a bit of sports heroism. Uh, comedy being, of course, willpower flipping off the – it's just an iconic moment. Just an epic yeah. gauntlet throw. I love it. <laughs> it if, if you get a chance, go watch the uh, final laps of the 2011 Indy 500. Go watch you know, the New Hampshire Motor Speedway race. Uh, watch willpower flip some people off. Uh, it's, it's a great season. Willpower. I want to say this too. Willpower, of course, three-time champion at this point in his career. Uh, how do I put this? Excuse me. Willpower won six races that year and finished second six out of, I think it was a 17 race season and finished second place. Those two had a title fight, baby. It's not often you went, win six races and finished second. Holy cow. That's it's pretty awesome. Yep. It was an epic duel. An epic duel. Well, Cannot next wait again on track whenever willpower takes the grid. He, yeah, it'll it'll happen. We'll we'll get some races and come on. Maybe Texas. <laughs> maybe later. Maybe earlier. Who knows? It'll happen. Well, I think uh, I think next week, Tim, uh, we're gonna focus. I, did we provisionally call it like the Sunshine and Lollipops episode? We kind did. of behind the scenes. We have a we have another name we're working on for. We'll, we'll, we'll workshop it. We'll workshop it, and uh, we'll workshop it. We'll, it's our new phrase. I think we said that each in the past like eight episodes. We'll, work, yeah, we'll workshop it. We'll, we'll just work on it. But uh, we're gonna have some positive stories, some like sunshine, lollipops, skipping through the spring meadows. 
yeah, we're going to have some good stuff. Yeah. Tim, I know I'm excited because last week was the saltiest episode. This week's really kind of a sad story, but it's, it's an intriguing one. Tim, how excited are you for next week? Thrilled. I need some positivity. You know, that's kind of what we were talking about as we wrap up here. It's like, man, you know, you know what the world could use right now? We already had this episode planned out. But you know what the world could use right now? A little bit of positivity. A little, uh, little uplift. A little, uh, yeah, little something to really go back on and think, hmm, that's good stuff. Good times. Like good times. Yeah. There's also, you know... It, I want to point out we're not going to go full celebrity singing Imagine here either. Uh, We are common folk. We just want to remind you of some good times. (laughs) Yep, we're going to try. We're going to try. So that's going to wrap up story time. That's going to wrap up our podcast. I'm Luke. I'm Tim. We'll catch you guys on the flippity. See you next week. (laughs) 